Good morning, everybody. Man, worship was powerful. Interesting thing happened this morning on my way here. And I, I, I've had this happen several times. Each time, there's been a significance. The Lord has said something. I can't say necessarily that each time I knew what it meant. <laughs> but there was a significance to it. So this morning I'm, I'm driving on my way here. And I look up ahead and, and I'm always looking for these, but I'm always looking for bald eagles. We have them here. We don't have them a ton, but we have them, right? I always see those vultures from far off, and it's like, could that? No, no, wings are a little different there. Then I get up on them, and it's a vulture. No, 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 we, we don't accept any fakeness. <laughs> but usually from a distance, I could see the gleaming white tail or head, and I just think that's cool. But it's more rare that the Lord has one fly directly right over my head. Been a few times, but each time that he's done that, it's been for a significant purpose. He said something or something were to happen that day, perhaps. Things like that. This morning, sure enough, I'm driving up 896 and I see two birds. And... I'm going over the bridge for uh, the canal bridge, and I'm thinking, okay, those, those don't look like vultures. That's kind of cool. Get up on them and know they're just big hawks. Oh, seriously, you're going to tease me. <laughs> big hawks. Then I'm coming down, not paying attention, and then all of a sudden I look up, and there's this bald eagle flying beside me. I thought, okay, okay, that's more like it. That's pretty cool. I love bald eagles. I have to tell you my bald eagle story sometime. I've probably said it many times here. So then I'm, I'm driving along. This thing is flying to my right and just flying alongside. And in the back of my mind, I'm just wondering, is he going to cross my path? And sure enough, he just turns and he flies right over me. And I thought that was pretty cool. I thought, okay, Lord, is something going to happen today? Is something that you want me to know? And I heard so clearly from him. He said, the eagle is looking for the lion. I can't tell you what that means. But it means something pretty big to the Lord. I believe that it is the representation of what God has promised us for so long. And I'll leave that at that. Because you could press into the Lord and, and let Him show you perhaps 
what that means. But we're at a time where we're going to see the extraordinary manifest in the physical. We've seen it in the spirit. Things always hit in the spirit first. But we're going to see it in the physical. And as I was with the Lord today, and, and this is, this is going to sound a little You know what? Before we do, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, God. Lord, I just declare your will be done this morning in Jesus' name. Not my will, not anyone else's here will, certainly not the enemy's will, but your will be done in Jesus' name. And Father, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to permeate this place in a place of teaching, in a place of openness, in a place of transparency, in a place of love. As your Holy Spirit is already here, we could feel so powerfully in worship. We ask now that you open up your Holy Spirit to teach, to give wisdom. You said, Father, that if we ask for wisdom, you'll, you'll give it liberally. We're not asking for human wisdom. Because that's out the door. We're, we're at times where that just doesn't work any longer. Not sure it ever did. But Father, what we're asking for is the wisdom from You. Wisdom given by Your Holy Spirit in a measure that allows us and helps us to discern the times in which we find ourselves. And not just discerning the times so we know what to expect and we can avoid different things and whatever. Lord, I ask for the discernment to see where you want us to step. Because the, the lion will rise. Your son through his bride will rise will be seen manifest in this earth. In fact, it's those who don't know you that will see it the greatest and cling to them. They'll want what your children have. And I'm not speaking materially. I'm speaking relationally. I'm speaking of the lack of fear in the face of fear. Father, I give you my mouth. I give you my will. My choice. I choose to give those to you, to speak what you will, to do what you want. Because, Lord, if I could be honest, I want to receive as well. 
I want to hear from you as well. We thank you for it. Guide this morning according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. For a few weeks now, the Lord's been prompting me, is maybe the best way to say it, and I, I even perhaps this morning, I, I don't fully understand it, um, I didn't know if, because sometimes, you, you guys know, when, when I come up here and the Lord has not given me things, I start thinking, okay, Lord, what am I missing or what do you want? And for the last couple of weeks, he has talked about taking questions. Now, I don't know how you do that on a Sunday morning, but he said about taking questions. Now, I will say this, he has prompted me to mention that to you because you still have a choice. He's told me there are many questions. And those questions may be about the times in which we live. Those questions may be about what it means to have a relationship with him. Those questions can be just about anything, I presume. He's told me you have questions. He's told me certainly there are those online with questions. How we facilitate that in the moment is perhaps a little harder online. But I want to put that out here this morning. That there are, if, if there are questions, this is open forum for that this morning. That you just raise your hand and we'll talk about it. He has given me something else but I really believe that it's in a, if there is not a, a willingness to ask the questions for embarrassment or whatever, or fear, whatever. So there's no condemnation for not asking, but I just want to open up the floor that that's available to you this morning. And not that it's not available any morning. Good night. If you raise your hand, I'll probably call on you any morning. This is not a normal church. Okay, I am not in the position of I get to preach to you guys once a week and, and that's, that's my paycheck. It's not how we work. You guys are my life. We're each other's lives. God's building a family. He's building a unified family. That's why those who resist that have a difficult time. And so that, that's, that's why I say any, any given Sunday morning, God's going to do stuff different. Expect it. Don't feel like, well, that's not the norm. That's not how things are supposed to go. So it's, you know, can't be that. Lord, you have this thing burning in my heart. It can't be that because, you know, that's not how things normally go. If we're seeking the Lord, now we, we will not change for the sake of change. Please understand that. We will not move in something simply for the, for the sake of moving in it. We'll discern what the Lord is leading us to do, just like I'm doing right now. So I lay that out there for you to 
Raise your hand if you want to do that. I am going to have you to, yes. Uh, by the way, the uh, microphone, oh, <laughs> you are so way ahead of me. That's awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, there's, there's been quite a bit of prophecy uh, recently about the United States and what's coming to this country towards the end of the year. But it's been on my heart. What is going on in Israel? Is there any direction that you're sensing that is coming to Israel or working in Israel at this stage of the game? I can tell you um, what the Lord has told me, and that's as far as I could go. And perhaps he'll tell us something, something new this morning. But that's a good question. Let me start by saying this, that all the promises that God has given to Israel will be fulfilled. Every single one of them, including Jesus Christ taking the physical throne of David and reigning for a thousand years. That is not replaced. That is not um, derailed. That, that is there. Now, for Israel, Jesus said that he would not return until they call for him. Right? He's not going to take that throne until they have asked him to. He's not going to take it by force. He's going to take it because they're going to realize who he is. The time in which we are right now is an interesting time because it requires faith. It, re- it requires heavy faith. Faith greater than, than the bride has ever had before. Because... It is what Paul describes as the grand mystery in the Word of God. He lays it out as the Gentiles being grafted in. Okay, you see that? But it's not just about Gentiles being grafted in. It is about the fulfillment of his temple. I find it interesting that he calls us, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, he calls us the temple. Right? We're, we're the temple. Do we replace the temple? I, I mean, for right now, yes. But it's interesting how the Bible talks about when we're taken off this earth, the Jewish temple will be raised again. Even in the thousand-year reign, there's a temple. And if you read the book of Ezekiel, you understand that there are actually more sacrifices that will be done in that temple than in history. In the dedication and opening of the temple, go, go read it. It's really profound. Because, because I thought in the thousand-year reign, the, the lion will lay with the lamb and not kill the lamb. And yet there will still be sacrifice for sin. That, that's a mind twister right there because Jesus is on the throne and yet there is still a sacrifice required for sin. Let that sit there. Again. Now there is not the atonement for eternal life. That sacrifice is no longer done. Even them recognizing him as the redeemer means that that sacrifice is no longer needed. 
However, what are all the other sacrifices? It's the picture of what you and I have right now in seeking him. It's relationship. There's a cost to that relationship. Jesus paid a price for that relationship. Now, getting back to your question about Israel, in this time of this mystery, I believe what this entire mystery is about is in regards to Romans 11.11. Literally to bring Israel to a place of jealousy, right? So in this time, we see a lot of the same things in the same order that we will see for Israel. Not just in the tribulation, not just in the judgment part of it. That's why so many people right now are thinking, oh, we're in the tribulation. No, there's a few real problems with that. We can't be in the tribulation. Okay, first of all, there's no treaty. There's no temple. (laughs) And by the way, the church is still here. That's your biggest problem. The church will be gone before all of that. That's the seventh trumpet. But what happens to Israel in this time, physical Israel? I think that's your question, right? I can share something that I've shared before. God sent me, and I want to say it was in June, somewhere around there. God sent me to Jordan, and then I, I shared this before where he took me to the the, the same mountain where Moses was, where I looked down on the Jordan River um, and the Dead Sea, and I could see Israel on the other bank. And he had me declare something. Then you could go look it up, because I think I shared it on a Sunday morning. But what was extraordinary to me was during this time, what the Lord had said in that declaration was during this time, Israel will receive all of the land that she was promised, that she's never received. And not because God didn't give it, because she didn't take it. Even back in the book of Joshua, she never took it all. She left certain nations without their destruction, without their being pushed out. And she didn't take all the land. In fact, uh, I think one of the... one of the, the articles that Rich had sent me back then in June, I think they, they only have about 10% of the land that was actually promised to them. So what I believe will happen to Israel in this time frame now is that she will receive all her land. But it will come through the hands of the Gentile church. It will come through the hands of the sons and daughters that they once rejected. Now, why, I can't tell you. I have actually been asking the Lord about this because I do know that Netanyahu is coming back. He will be back. He, he is a parallel to Trump. Just as Trump will be back, Benjamin Netanyahu will also be back. I don't, certainly don't know him, I don't know if he knows the Lord or not. And my question to the Lord is, could Israel become a Christian nation 
and turn to the Lord, to Jesus Christ as Lord, not, not, not just believing in God the Father and not believing in the Son. See, you can't do that. You can't separate them and say, well, I believe in God the Father, I just don't believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. You have a real problem because the Trinity is one. They're one. If you don't believe one, you don't believe the other. And, and so to answer your question, I don't know. I've, I've had these thoughts, and I'll just throw out my thoughts. I've had these thoughts that they will become a Christian nation. I believe Benjamin Netanyahu either is saved or will be, just like Donald Trump. I believe in them becoming a Christian nation It will be after they have their land, after they see what God has done through the church. I can't say that's what the Lord has told me. That's just the impressions of my conversation with him. And the reason I could say that that is a viable potential is because the slate is wiped clean in the rapture. When the rapture happens, which it will at the end of this church age, this, this bride leading, then those who were in Israel before that held on to the old beliefs, that held on to the old control, and not just in Israel, but all over, here in the U.S. as well, they'll take control. You know, so, so the best that I can answer that question is to say that Israel will get all her land back. In this time, or not back for the first time, Israel will get all her land. And, and um, the interesting thing is, I don't think she's going to have to fight for it. I don't think at all. I think it's going to be given to her. I think nations will literally give it to her. You know, take that for what it's worth. But did, did that answer your question at all? Somebody else? Yeah. Talk into the microphone, otherwise they won't hear you online. Hello. Now you can hear my beautiful voice. Anyway, first of all, guys, I just want to say don't be embarrassed to ask because we're all really just family here. And um, my question is just can you explain about the the outer darkness and when the Bible talks about the (laughs) weeping and gnashing of teeth? Okay. uh, Ask that again. Can you explain when, it, when the Bible talks about the weeping and gnashing of teeth and people cast into the outer? Okay. Yeah. Darkness? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were talking about 10 days of darkness. I thought, great. Let's pull those well, out again. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. The, the, what, what Carson is talking about is, is uh, there's a couple of passages, and I, I'm, what comes to my mind is... Um, uh, right around Matthew 25-ish, right in there, somewhere around there. But um, talking about where, uh, well, one, one, for instance, is the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the, the father says, go out and invite. And then there was still room. He said, go out and invite more. Go out and just bring them in. Invite everybody. So everybody was invited, but then there at the, 
the ceremony, there was one found who did not have the right clothing on. Now, please understand this metaphoric, okay? You, you, have to, you have to understand what God is saying here. They did not have on the proper attire for being there, and so they were thrown out. And the reference there is that they were thrown out to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Now, for the longest time, uh, I'll just speak for myself, for the longest time, I thought and taught that that meant hell. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't areas in the word where it does. I'm just speaking specifically of what I think your question is asking, which is the re- reference that I gave. There is something a little bit different. Because when it talks about into the outer darkness and into where, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, if you look at the Greek there, it's talking about less light. Literally, that, that's what it will say, is that it goes to a place of less light. Okay. Now, we don't think of... Our paradigm of outer darkness, especially those Trekkies out there like myself, outer darkness is the unknown. You know, outer darkness is the real darkness. You know, it's, it's where, you know, beyond whatever they say when they start. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a place of less light, a place of less proximity. Now, you're going to get me in trouble here a little bit, but I'm going to go forward with it. Um, I, I've been, been criticized of this many times, but, uh, but this is truth. Jesus, when he decided to become a man, which was required for him to die for man. You understand that, right? Okay. He, was, he became a man, fully man, came to the earth, never stopped being God. Let me make that very clear. Never stopped being God, but lived his life on this earth as a man. He never incorporated the power that he had as God to get rid of his enemies, to you know, manipulate anything or anything else. He operated as mankind. Okay, the reason for that is because he could show us exactly how to move and use him as the example. If he made this change as God, well, we couldn't possibly follow that, right? Because we don't, we're not God. We don't have that power. So he didn't operate as God. You follow me with that? Okay, now when he died... And rose from the grave. The power of the Holy Spirit rose him from the grave. Okay? Then he was crowned, name above all names. He was given that. The Father gave that to him. Recognize that. And all of this is for a reason. Is it because he stopped being God? No. He is God now, today, right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father's front throne as much as he was God before he ever became man. He is God. He is God with all the authority of God. But yet by choice he humbled himself. He humbled himself for an entire process. That process was 
to recognize who he was as a man, which I, I wish the Bible talked more about. But as he's growing up as, as a young kid and, and boy, he, there had to be a point where he recognized who he was in his relationship with the Father and knew who he was. Because we, we know he knows who he was by the time he was in his ministry. And, and that's what it all focuses on. But it included that time of sanctification. Okay? The salvation part of man, he didn't need because he is the salvation. He was without sin. He didn't have to ask somebody into his heart because he was pure and is pure. But yet, the Bible says that he learned obedience. Right? He had to learn faith. He had to learn what it meant to trust in the voice of his father. So, as he did that, there is another part in, in our existence. It's called glorification. We become glorified after, after we die or, you know, I, I assume for those who will be part of the, the rapture, I assume it's in the rapture or something, but there's a point where we become glorified. Our bodies li- literally change. They become glorified bodies. I can't begin to tell you what that means, but I can tell you what I believe. I believe it is a perfect body. I believe it is the body that was intended all mankind to be from Adam. It was literally the perfect body without the curse. Right? So, so literally what happens is we, build, we get saved. We build this life of, of relationship with the Lord, this sanctification. And then we go through a time where our body is glorified. That is all done in the human realm for Jesus. It was in the human realm. It wasn't in the spirit realm. Or it wasn't just in the spirit realm. In fact, what I believe, it was a, it was a perfect marriage of the two. Because that's what I believe Adam and Eve were before the fall. Jesus did not stop being a man after his glorification. In fact, when he was first risen from the dead, he, Mary came and clung on to him. And he said, don't cling, don't cling on to me yet. For, for he has not finished his glorification. I, I don't know at what point that happened or, or all of that, but his body underwent that, took, took his body back to a place where it was intended, like with Adam and Eve, with, without the corruption of this, this universe. You can have corruption come in from the outside, Right? And it not affect the inside. doesn't mean that there's sin. We can live in corruption and not be in sin. That's how we could be of the world, or in the world, but not of the world. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm, I laid all that out for a purpose. I know that was a lot of words just to lay out one concept. And that is that Jesus Christ is still, still a man. He is still a man. He is absolute God. He's as much God now as he was before he became a man. But he is, by choice, sitting at the right hand of the Father because the Father said, stay there 
and I will make your enemies your footstool. That's what he's, that's what he's doing. That's what he's waiting on. But he is a physical, I believe, like Adam and Eve were. When I say physical, Adam and Eve were different than us. Okay, they were clothed in light. And they didn't even notice the difference until sin entered their life. Then all of a sudden they recognized, oh, we're naked. We need to be clothed. Because that light was quenched. So it's very different than where we are now. That's what the glorified body is. But it's still a human body. Okay? So in this, there is a time coming right now where... And this is what I talk about when I talk about the golden ticket to heaven. You ask Jesus Christ into your heart, you have a golden ticket to heaven. Okay, that can that is stamped by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you can't lose it. Can't lose it at all. But that opens up the next phase, which is the huge, hugely important phase of sanctification, of relationship with Jesus Christ. Learning Him, learning who God is, learning His voice, building relationship in a very physical way. Knowing Him, knowing His voice in that physical way. If we don't do that, or if we do it very little, does it mean we don't go to heaven? No, of course not. Because we're sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And last I checked, there's no power greater. (laughs) I mean, literally, He rose Jesus from the dead. There's no power greater. And He puts His stamped seal on us saying that, I am covering you until you receive your promise, which is eternal life. So we can't lose that. But then why does the Bible talk about rewards? Why does the Bible talk about crowns? Why does the Bible give, give these thoughts about one servant being faithful, another servant not? Both were servants. He knew both. Both were in his family. Because if you recognize back then, a servant was not just a hired employee that comes in for 40 hours a week. A servant was part of the family, especially a bond servant. A bond servant was given by, by their own choice. So, so they were part of the family. Now, when, when we build that relationship with Jesus Christ, we earn rewards. And, and those rewards literally are being with him. What do you what do you get? Let me let me ask you this, Carson, and 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 this is really for everybody, but in in building relationship with the Lord, which I know you have, um has that gotten you, you know, the big house on the beach? Did that get you, you know, 10 Rolls-Royces out in the front? Not yet, Not yet. right? <laughs> No, but what, it, what did it build with you? It built an intimacy with the Lord's voice, with knowing Him, with hearing Him. That develops into a proximity. See, here, here, here on this earth, whatever you want to call it, we, we, it's so easy to feel displaced from God. 
It's so easy that you could take one person, both Christians, you could take one person who knows God, knows his voice, is so intimate in hearing from him, and then another person that lives their life in the principles knowing what work, what, what works here on this earth. Well, I, I know that if I do A, B, and C, I'll get D. Right? If you, if you build a career and you, you build it and do well, you're going to get, or should, get paid more money and you'll be able to be more stable and buy more things. Right? That's, that's kind of the thought process. And the sad thing is, that's the thought process with Christians. But it was never supposed to be that way. Never supposed to be that way. It was supposed to be building that intimacy with the Lord and, and having the Lord tell us what we're to do because He is the goal. He is the prize. So when our time on this earth is done, whatever time that is, we will stand before a judgment seat. If you're not a Christian, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you'll stand eventually before the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be there. That's not the place you want to be. As a Christian, when you have accepted Jesus Christ into your, into your heart, you will stand before what's called the Bema Seat judgment. It is a judgment. The Bible calls it a judgment. But in reality, as it's described, it's more of an awards ceremony. That's, that's how I want you to think about it. It is where we go and literally our life is laid out before us. Each one of us will face this, knowing, knowing Christ we will face this, but that's where we're given our rewards. In, in the example of, of the uh, parable of the talents where, where there was one servant that had one talent, one that had three, and I think one that had five. The one that had one was afraid because knew that the, the master was so harsh and whatever went and buried it. The one that had three doubled it to six. The one that had five doubled it to ten, if I recall correctly. And then when it was time to come to the reconciliation of what that meant, think of that as the Bema Seat judgment. Think of that as the Bema Seat rewards, this ceremony, if you will. Okay? The one who came and had turned three into six said, Well done, good and faithful servant come into my rest. The one that did five turned it into ten. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my rest. The one that did one, he said, seriously? You couldn't even put it in the bank. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe he was feeling like we do about banks today, that banks aren't real safe either. See, the problem is fear is what was driving him. Fear drove him to hide it. Fear drove him to not using the resources that God gave him to further the kingdom. Right? To, it wasn't their own furthering. The one who turned five into ten, it wasn't all his money or her money. It was furthering the master's kingdom. And so he said, take it from this one. Take this talent because God does not waste his resources. Take it from them. Give it to the one with five. 
Now, man, so many times we read this and think, oh, wow, he just got like a new thing. He got a, you know, new house or a new car. That's, that's what that extra talent was. That's not what it was. I'm telling you right now what is going to be important to you in the next life, as it should be in this life, is using and stewarding what God gives you to steward. Because there is going to be a time where he sees how you stewarded what you did and he's going to either take away or give more. Now, all the way back to that first reference of the one who did not have the proper clothing, I think that's in reference to that relationship with the Lord. Do you know when we build relationship with the Lord, there's a different look that we take on. It's funny how you can go and you can discern people without even knowing them. You could discern who it is that they have a relationship with. And I'm not saying everybody, but the ones that, man, alive, you just know they're close to the Lord. Why? Because of things that they say or they, you know, they... They play a cool instrument or they preach really well or that no. No, it's because you see the glory of God on them. That's what I believe equates to the clothing. Not being clothed for that particular event. Now that event is different. Okay, that's not about salvation. The marriage supper of the Lamb is not about salvation. It's not about those who are saved, get to go to it. It's those who are prepared. Because, see, it's invited for all. You don't even get an invitation to it if you're not saved. You don't even get an invitation to it if you do not know the Lamb. You have not received Him into your heart as Savior. If you do, you get an invitation. But it doesn't mean that you are qualified to go. This is an event that requires a qualification. That's what that clothing is. What I believe that qualification is, is that intimacy with Him. It's knowing Him. It's building that one-on-one relationship with Him. Because that's the clothing that just just came out of their, their bodies. And by the way, that's a real event. I happen to believe that that event, I believe for a long time it was going to be in heaven after, after the rapture. And I, I'm absolutely convinced that it will be here on this earth. I don't even know what that looks like. Like, man, weddings are pretty expensive as it is. You know, Imagine the wedding reception of the lamb. <laughs> that's going to be pretty expensive. But what was... What did the Lord say when he came in, or this this person came in wearing the wrong clothing, came in and was not properly attired for the event? He didn't say, go take them outside, kill them. He said, cast them out. They're they're improperly attired. Cast them out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you can think that that's hell. 
I don't think we get an invitation to the to the this event without being saved. And then you have some other problems if you think that's what it is. But what I believe it it is literally the proximity to Jesus Christ. It says in Revelation, I think twenty two that There's a time after the thousand-year reign, after everything is done. And you see, I think in 21 or 22, where the new Jerusalem descends. Okay, to he says, now it is God's time to live with man. And and it literally descends upon earth. And and it's it's extraordinarily large. Um, But it says not everybody will be able to enter. Even though the gates are open 24 hours a day, gates are open day and night, and it says you don't need light there because the light of the Father and light of the Son provide the light. So what I believe, a long way to answer your question, is its proximity to Jesus Christ for eternity. That's what I believe. And, and I believe that's what scriptures teach. So for eternity... Us building relationship with him doesn't stop upon our death. In fact, it just grows. It is a permanent, eternal opportunity to build with him and to continue building with him. Does that make sense? Okay. Anybody else? If you have anything, raise your hand. It's what the Lord said. So, okay. Go ahead. So, um, what does it mean when Revelation is said, uh, blessed are those who wash their robes, robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city of, by the gates? Number one, why are they washing their robes? Number two, why do we need a right to the tree of life if you don't need to die, you don't need to eat, you know, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and by the way, that is Revelation, uh, Revelation what? Yeah, let me just turn to it. Okay, so we see God as a metaphoric God, right? But it's always based on physical things, right? When when God talks about a tree of life, and and we know that that. It was a life that gives, but it was also a life that was required to eat of with Adam and Eve, right? And then there was another tree, that other tree that they weren't supposed to touch, right? Or that they weren't supposed to eat of. So, so God does things in a metaphoric, metaphoric way, but, but he also is very detailed and, and physical in what he does. And, and so there, there will be a, this, this tree of life that we saw in the Garden of Eden. It didn't like cease to exist once Adam and Eve fell. In fact, it became guarded, right? It, it, it was guarded to keep out something that's pretty strong because it was guarded by a cherub, 
So something pretty strong was, was to keep out mankind so he would not live forever because now he is in sin. Right? That was at the Garden of Eden. God is bringing a, a rebuilding, a, a, a remake, if you will, um, of all that was lost. That curse that was brought in Genesis chapter 3 was already paid to be fully reversed. Already paid. Jesus paid that. Already in full. Even though we don't see it. Because Jesus wanted and desired, God wanted His servants, His chosen people, those who would build relationship with Him, to be in agreement with Him to bring that forth. Okay? So, to answer your question, there, there is a, a physical form that, that keeps eternal life going, if you will. That's why it was shut off in Genesis chapter 3, this, this tree of life. We, we see in Revelation that it, it will produce 12 fruits. And, and I think it's one wheat, one per month or something like that. I, I can't remember. But it is there for the healing of the nations. Now you think at that time, wait a second, why, why did the nations need healing? Perhaps the nations will need healing from everything we saw in the previous chapters. But that is something that we will partake of. That we're not only allowed to partake of, but we will need to partake of. Because it is in conjunction with that relationship with the Lord. Part of the obedience that, that we do in that. Now it doesn't mean that those who can't access Jerusalem at that time, and, and know the world will be full... It says that the world will have kings in it. And that this is at this time. This is after the thousand-year reign. This is after everything. This is after the great white throne judgment. There's still a hierarchy of government. That's what the Bible says. There are kings, and the kings will come once a month to give of their whatever. Their, the, whatever they bring in. I know that happens in the thousand-year reign. It will happen after that. So there is a system, and, and we can't even, I, I can't begin to know what that looks like, but there will be a system where we still interact with God. It's not about the fact that God is everywhere and, and I have a personal relationship with Him, so I could go hide in my corner of the world and be good for eternity. Just, just give me a few of you know, my people and we'll just have fun here. We're fine. That was never what God intended. What God intended was first and foremost relationship with Him. But second to that, and as, as important in His directive, was relationship with each other. That's why we're a different church here. We're supposed to be in relation with each other here as we build our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what love is. Sorry. What was your original? I think, I think I lost your original. You got the second half. The first half was about them locked in their own clothes. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, first of all, this is after all that. Okay, this is after you, you, you have the, the, uh, the time of the bride, which is what we're in now, to make Israel jealous. There will be a time where there's a rapture that takes her home. Now, at this point, just, just to throw this in there, in this time of the bride, all evil will be bound. Because it is going to be a parallel to what you see in the thousand years of Christ. Satan himself will be bound. That's why he's scared, because he knows it. He's confused. He thought this was his time. It's not. Okay? So he will be bound. Um, uh, I'm I'm sorry. The the rapture happens. Then then those... I don't even know how this is going to work, but... But they will be released. We see in Revelation 9-11 how some of the demonic spirits are released for a time. But then it, it comes about to his tribulation. It is for the sake of Israel. We go through all that. Then we go through a thousand-year reign. After the thousand-year reign, Satan is loosed again, which I don't understand why, but he is. And then he is finally annihilated, the great white throne judgment. He is judged. He is cast into the lake of fire, and then the lake of fire is cast out of God's mind. It says he won't even think about it after that. Okay, so in that, that that's, that's basically the, the, the layout of it. So by the time we are past the great white throne judgment, it isn't about Israel anymore. It's about God's children and what that looks like. And, and so, so for... For us to be the ones to clean our clothes, to clean our robes, it is simply because God will never take away your choice. He will never clean your clothes for you, even though he paid for it. He paid for it through his sin, I mean through his death and resurrection. Right? Jesus paid for it through his blood. But he doesn't force you, here, obey me, build relationship with me, right? He doesn't do that. We have to have a choice in that because that choice is love. When we choose, God, I want to build a relationship with you. I am choosing for my robes to be cleansed. I am choosing to take on Jesus' blood on myself. So when I go before the Father and I, I pray in Jesus' name, He is not seeing me through the filter that is Greg Twiddell. He is seeing me through the filter that that is Jesus Christ poured over Greg Twiddell. And the relationship that I build with him is through that filter. So, But that's my choice. Right? Do you understand that? So when it's saying that, that they clean their clothes, it is not that they have the power over sin. It's that they have the power over saying yes to God to cleanse them. Does that make sense? Does that answer it? Good, good enough? Okay, yeah. And go ahead and speak into the microphone there. And I, this is going to be probably the last one that I take. Here. This isn't a question. This is actually a comment on Isaac's question. Uh, I'm old school, and I'm King James. Okay. The old versions, a lot of the old uh, text, don't use wash the robes. It says keep his commandments. Mm. So I think. Well, and, and truly, the keeping of commandments fits that same line of building relationship with him, because it, that, that is at, the entire As you thing. keep his commandments, you are keeping your robes. Yeah. You're washing your robes. That you, you washed by the water of the word. 
Well, and ultimately, what, did he, what was his commandment? You know, it was, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and where, where, we, where we have to make sure that we don't get off track is, is having those lists of things to do more important than what they represent, right? I mean, that's how, that's how I grew up. That's how Alex grew up. And, and, and I don't mean necessarily me personally, but, but growing up in that world where, where as long as I keep this, this list of rules, then I'm good. Well, no. I mean, the, the truth is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. If I am loving the Lord with everything that I am, then I am giving him everything that I am. I am making that choice to clean my robe. It doesn't mean I'm getting there with that scrubber. It means I'm saying, yes, Jesus, do it. And he just pours it over me. Okay, the, what his question was, because they won't hear it online, you said from that time frame, um, say it again. What, what do you need cleansing from? Well, the, don't think there's no sin in the thousand-year reign, because there is. In, in fact, I think we have a lot of confusion about the thousand-year reign. Just like we will have some confusion about the times in which we're going into now. If, if everything was good and right and awesome and whatever, Jesus would not have to rule with a rod of iron. Ruling with a rod of iron is, is to rule with discipline, to rule out of necessity because there is not relationship. Now, I'm not going to go as far as to say that, relation, or that, that Israel will not have relationship with him, but as a nation, that seems to me to be what it looks like. They will ask him, but that is so different than relationship. Just like when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, that's so different than us opening up our, our lives to him, you know, in relationship. So, so the cleansing of their robes will come in that time frame. And, and as, as much as I can tell, now there may be so many other layers of meaning to that that, that I don't know. Um, but that, that would be my answer in terms of what, what came from the thousand-year reign and, and from that time. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and have Alexis come up. I didn't get into this other piece that the Lord gave me. Maybe he'll have me share it next week. I do want to say this one thing, though. And I say this especially for those online because I, I know we talk about it here a lot. We're coming into a time for some things that are going to feel very scary. Satan will want you to be afraid, but we're not to be afraid. We're not to be afraid at all. And in fact, recognize that what God is doing, He, he is doing for you. He is doing because He is calling His bride to be ready. He's calling her literally to come to the marriage feast. Be ready for that. 
Put on the robes which mean relationship. Be ready for that. That is each person's choice. And, and only you know what that means. Because only you know the barriers that you put up between you and God. Because it's very normal. Sadly, it's very normal for Christians to have God in this box and then the rest of their life over. And it's for one reason. It's because they like to control it. That's driven out of fear, usually. Most control is driven out of fear. But I'm telling you, in the times in which we're in now, don't be afraid. Build relationship with Him. Let Him speak to your heart about what's going on and what's coming and what you are to do. And know that we're a family here. That's why I said I I speak this mostly to those online. Here, as things happen, us physically getting together is going to become more and more important. It's going to be more and more awesome. (laughs) And what the Lord does. But those who are listening to me online, it doesn't mean that, oh, well, you're just left out. Every single one of his children have that same opportunity. He's going to build these pockets all over the world. And it's literally bringing his remnant together. That is the time in which we find ourselves now. And be excited about that. What I want to say is what I really want to pray. So let's go ahead and pray as we um, just close this portion. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you, God, for all the uh, revelation, the wisdom, the insight that you give from your word. And God, I thank you for even the questions that were placed on the hearts today to remind us of how to view what it means to walk as a new creation in relationship with you, what it means to have goals and desires and aspirations for our existence, God, that's really all about drawing closer to you and walking in you. And God, I just pray that, especially with talking about revelation, which so often in the bride becomes a a point of, controversy and debate and doctrinal disputes god i pray that it would as we seek first you your righteousness your kingdom god that you would reveal pieces that you want to give greater context to greater greater insight to god and that it wouldn't be um for purposes of debate but for the excitement of understanding more what your word is saying with the guide we have by you, Holy Spirit. And so, God, I just thank you. I just thank you for your word, and I I love talking about your word. I love digging deeper in your word, Holy Spirit, with you right in the middle of it, not to be the the one that is um, knows the most or who's had the most um, eschatology Bible studies and all these things, God, I, I just pray that it would be to where we hunger and thirst for you and whatever you want us to know, whatever you've revealed and whatever you want us focusing on, that's where our hearts want to be. 
but we want to be in truth. We want to be walking in in your word, your ways, not a distortion of it, not a leaning on our own understanding, not a relying on, on intellect or traditions of the past, any, any infiltration of religious spirit, but just simply you, God, revealing your heart through your word, God. I just thank you for that, and I praise you, and I, I pray that that is where we would be when we think about these things to come and that are upon us now. God, I know during worship, I thank you so much for your heavy, heavy presence, and I, I know I kept asking you if you wanted to give a word, and, and I know that you, you just gave this to me to, to share, and that is that you are about to open the floodgates to, that, would, it, that will directly impact us here in Ignition, God, and that we are to fast and we are to pray this week in some measure. And so, Father, I pray that you would release the details about that, God, that you would release the day and what that fast looks like. If it's a multiple days, if it's one day, if it's one meal, if it's the whole week, whatever you desire, God, we desire to be ready to be walking, just filled with your Holy Spirit, just to the fullness of who you are. Because when those floodgates open, that confused, fearful, tormented world around us, those hungering and thirsting, even those other remnant looking for someone else that is experiencing what they are, because they're being shaken away from all the the norms of man and really wanting to seek you above all else and maybe feeling totally alone. God, help us to be ready, ready for the rise in clear opposition, oppression, persecution against your people, God, against Christians that we're seeing already all around us, God. But just, just the ability to... To stand firm in, in that and in knowing what to say when we're faced with someone who needs deliverance, who needs to know you, Jesus, as Savior. God, when that flood comes to us in these people, God, help us to be just ready to receive, to boldly pray, to lay hands on, to, to just love them as you love them, God. You said from the beginning of ignition, we are an army rising up. So, God, that is uh, an army that really is effective, is in unity with brothers and sisters in Christ. But then we're also charged with boldness to stand firm and even go after the enemy to be victorious. So, God, I just pray that you'd guide and lead in all of that. Help us to be just so in tune with you. All the questions, all the answers today pointed to what is really, really important for our eternity. And so, God, I just pray that you would just drive home whatever you wanted each of us individually to know. We're all in different processes of faith with you right now, God. So I pray that you just customize, Holy Spirit, the word you have for us, that we might um, really receive from you what we need personally and then as, also as a body. God, we just love you. We praise you today for who you are and what you give us in our daily bread each day. In Jesus' name, amen.